Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 99 of Death Readers. Oh, look at that. I think it's correct. That's that's correct. Um, fuck. Uh, we're still, and, we're still uh, in our double digits. Muscle tough. Death Readers is the podcast where Rob and I read through books for the first time. If this is your first time listening, the way we're going to do that is we're going to go through the book we're reading chapter by chapter till we reach the end, take notes, share the notes with each other, have a conversation, see where it leads, and then, you know, I guess have a good time doing it. Oh, yeah. In this episode of Death Readers, we're going to be reading through, and when I say reading through, I mean finishing Charles Portis's True Grit. Uh, This is the last chapter and whatever comes after that uh, of the, the book. So if you have, if you'd like to hear the rest of the episodes about True Grit, go back two episodes and listen to them. Also, uh, we encourage you to read along with us. So go get your copy at your local library or a local used bookstore and read it ahead of time. Read the last, read the whole book and then listen to the podcast. And then you can go, oh yeah, those are interesting things they're saying. Or, oh wow, they say the same thing every time an episode starts. How boring. I just I just push the skip button four times until I'm done, uh, and then they start talking about it. So That's all valid. Yeah. Do we have any housekeeping? No. I cool. Don't think then we do. I think we should just jump into this book. So that should bring us to chapter seven. Weird, like a parcel tongue. You said that yeah. in a in a snake like way. I wonder why. Okay. So the summary of this chapter would be. After the night where they they camp down near Lucky Ned Pepper's gang, they being Maddie Labeef and Rooster Cogburn, a drunk Rooster Cogburn, mm. the, the morning the morning after Maddie wakes up and goes down to the creek to get some water, and when she gets there, she sees in front of her no none other than Tom Cheney himself, leading horses to water, lest they drink. Then she confronts him ends up shooting him and then he ends up grabbing her and her gun misfires a couple times, which I thought was interesting. And then he takes her back up to the camp. Ned Pepper shows up with his gang of guys and they have a confrontation with rooster and basically tell rooster, get the hell out of here or we'll kill the girl. Like if I don't see you on this Ridge at this time, we're killing the girl. Uh, they make, they, they batty back some, some uh, talk back and forth. That basically happens like Maddie gets drug up to the camp where Ned Pepper and his guys are hanging out and Rooster and Labeef, they see them go up to the ridge in, in the right amount of time. Then Ned Pepper basically they, they do some business with like having Maddie clean up some documentation from some uh, like bank the, notes. Uh, the bank notes from the heist they did there where she forges signatures for them because she can write and read. At that point, uh, Ned Pepper decides to kind of abandon Tom Cheney with her and he, uh, because they lost a horse, I believe. So one of their horses is gone. So Tom doesn't have anything to ride. No one else will let him ride with them. And he understands maybe rightly that they are deliberately abandoning him and never going to come back for him. So he tries really hard and makes a lot of bargains to try to get on the horse of somebody so he can get out of there and they won't have it. And they try to explain to him that he should meet them at a at some place called the old place, where they will meet up and exchange their bounty with him or their their uh, loot with him. He'll get his cut. So when she when he when Ned Pepper and his gang leave Maddie with Tom, 
it takes very little time for Maddie to basically not wait around for the dim-witted Tom Chaney to come up with a plan on how to kill her or how to dispose of her and make his getaway. And she throws a bunch of hot water in his face and tries to escape, but she's not successful. He attacks her, punches her up a bit, and then I think pretty close after that, Labeef shows up and punches Tom. I think, does she shoot him again? I, I can't remember. Um, she uh, Labeef shows up as Rooster is surprising Lucky Ned, Ned and Pepper. the rest of the gang. Right. And he's So he's down drawn. down in the in the in the in the valley, Ned Pepper and his gang are, are retreating, and as they're retreating, Rooster comes out of the tree line and surprises them. And yes. and but before that happens, like again, Le, because that as that happens, the beef's already secured the situation. Right. So the the beef uh I think he shows up and beats up Ned Pepper or not Pepper, no, he beats up Tom Cheney and then helps uh maddie up but her head's swollen and knotted like i think i think he popped her over the head with a pistol he, yeah he he pistol whipped her he he tom cheney yeah tom cheney pistol whipped maddie and then labeef uh secures him i don't think he ties him up but he secures the prisoner as it were uh he believes he has the situation under control and then while rooster ambushes the other gang labeef decides that he's going to help out and he pulls out a long rifle and and takes a real long shot at somebody and succeeds i think it's ned pepper yeah uh and rooster pulls out both of his sidearms and just like because he finds he has one eyeball so he pulls out both his sidearms and just starts moving his head back and forth from targets firing kind of blindly and is apparently incredibly successful at it and gets most of them and only takes a couple shots of buck or whatever in his face um (laughs) You say it like that. What? You know, he only took some buckshot to the face. You're like, Damn. I mean, he 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 did. He only took some buckshot know, to the I face. Know. I know. It just. It just... <laughs> anyway, so he. But while that commotion's going on, Tom Cheney seizes the opportunity to beam Labeef over the head with a big rock, and then Maddie. That's when Maddie shoots him. Maddie uh, fires the gun and takes a shot at at Tom Cheney and hits him in the head. She says. But then the, the the recoil of the pistol knocks her into this snake pit, this big open pit behind them on the on the cliff they're on. And so she falls down it and finds herself wedged in a hole where she feels like she's gonna like she's slipping down it gradually over time. And so Labeef and Tom Cheney are knocked out and now she's down there No one to help her. No one to help her. And she's she's sliding through this thing and she no one can no one helps her. She luckily she says she can't find any snakes at this point, but she uh, starts to slip and she realizes if she slips she's gone she has no idea how deep this crevasse is how deep this cave goes what's underneath her really she believes there's bats under there because she can feel them rubbing up against her legs and fluttering about and she believes that when night falls they'll want to escape and that means they'll probably bite her and hit her and attack her which she doesn't want to happen she's also broken her arm in the fall and one of her arms is like twisted and in, in, uh, immobile in an awkward and painful position uh, so she realizes that she sees like a, a shirt in the in the in the darkness of the cave and she thinks she can grab if she can get the shirt she thinks she reasons that she could wedge it between her and the hole which will keep her in place and not fall so as she grabs it and pulls it towards her she realizes the shirt is actually still attached to a skeleton uh, an old corpse and that freaks her out a little but she keeps pulling it forward and trying to get it closer to her and she ends up uh as she pulls it closer to it, her reveals the rib cage, and inside the rib cage is a ball of snakes that are all sleeping and hi- hibernating for the winter. Because this story takes place in December, and desert, she desert's cold in the in, desert's, in the winter. Desert is cold in the winter, and she uh, gets 
she gets scared, but she realizes she still has to get something to wedge her in place. So she rips off the arm of the skeleton and shoves the arm in the hole to wed to like, you know, like a doorstop wedge her in place. But in doing so awakens the snakes and then they all get out and they slither on her and one bites her arm, her, I think, I think not the broken, broken arm. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, by that time, Tom Cheney wakes back up and starts taunting her. I don't remember exactly the order of events, but I think basically Rooster shows up and beats the shit out of him and then like tosses him down the pit and he dies. Like I think Tom Cheney just like real unceremoniously just crashes into the pit next to her dead and snakes bite his face and stuff and he doesn't move because he's dead. <laughs> Labeef wakes up and then Labeef and Cogburn rig a system where Cogburn goes down the pit with a rope and like helps her out, realizes she's been bit, cuts her arm open, sucks the poison out, and then like puts some chewing tobacco in it to suck the poison out further to continue to extract the poison or the venom. Technically it's venom. Then Labeef and he rig up a pulley system where her, the horse can pull them out because they're pretty heavy. The horse being little blackie, um, her own little pony. And as she gets up there, she has some nausea and uh, Cogburn realizes that he's got to get her to a doctor quick. And so he jumps on little blackie and they ride all day, all day and all night until as she goes in and out of consciousness, until little Blackie collapses, dies, and Cogburn carries her the rest of the way on foot till they get to wherever they were going and she can see a doctor and she's treated. And then, uh, and then after that, it's basically just the rest of the story is just Maddie catching us up on where her life went Mm -hmm. after that. How many, like as she got older, what, what became of her in a sense, what she believes became of rooster, what she has heard became of, of Labeef, and then just really sort of wrapping up all the loose ends and, and giving us a, a nice send off for all the things we may have had questions about. And then that's the end of the book. Yep. So that's a, that's the summary. <laughs> Do you want to start doing uh, page notes? I mean, I don't have any notes, page notes anymore. Just, just some asides such as from here on, this is very early in the chapter from here okay, on good. out. Any descent Maddie makes is filling me with dread. Anytime she's like, oh, and I started to go down. I'm like, oh god, oh god, oh, okay, no, oh, 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 oh. She went down to the water to get to, to you know meet Tom to get water at the very beginning. I'm like, oh god, she's going down to. Oh, okay, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Descent? Why? Why descent? Help me understand why. Because oh, I knew she, I knew she fell into a snake pit. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Like that's what I remembered from the movie. Yes. Even when I, and I have more on this later. But going into the movie, I had never read or seen any of these. Yeah. Um, and I somehow knew that there was a scene where she fell down and got bit by a snake or she fell into a snake pit. Like Might maybe I, maybe I had, maybe I, I feel like it was more, um, I, again, I can't remember her name and I know she's super bigger. Who's the actress singer Seinfeld. What? Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld. Yes. There was many articles because she came out of nowhere. Right. Kind of, you know, for, for the public, um, and everyone said how good she did. So I might have read one of those that talked about this scene. So I knew it was coming. How, for whatever reason, I knew that scene was coming, having no information about True Grit. And so I was like, ah. And similar thing here. Every time I was reading the book, I was just like creeping up the page like there was going to be a snake jumping out of my uh, iPad at me. I'm just like, ah, where is it? Where is it? Yeah. So that's that's what my mind said at the beginning of the uh, book. Yes. Uh, my my only my first note is that the part where they're dumping out the 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 loot 
from the train robbery, all the all the letters. So if you have something before that, I do. Okay, yes. Um, I just really enjoyed when he's like, "You're not going to shoot me," and she, I pointed the revolver at his belly and shot him down. <laughs> Damn, Maddie, you're awesome. Yeah. Uh, I I okay. I hate I hate to say this yeah. because I I it's that thing. Oh man, I feel like I know where this conversation is going to go. It's something I feel like is very obvious, so I'm hesitant to say it, but okay. I'll say it anyway. Okay. I feel like part of the title of this book and about Rooster having true grit is supposed to be deliberately misleading. It's supposed yes. to be this thing Abs- where no, she she is the one who truly has the most grit of all. I mean, um, we, could, we could talk about this now. Um, you are absolutely right in that way that uh, I've read something... I remember saying seeing that at some point again, probably around the time the movie was coming out, and that review was like, and obviously Maddie's the one with true grit, and I was like, oh, so even though you're like it's pretty obvious, I still had a moment of, oh damn, <laughs> I should yeah. go back to English it- class. It's right, <laughs> it's right there and pretty obvious, but uh, so yes, no, it's 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 an astute observation. It's, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it 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 does take the whole book though to get there and go. Oh yeah, like look at everything. This li- like all none of this would have happened. Like she got her man. Mm-hmm. Like she did what she, she needed to do. She 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 she, she knew the dead skeleton was full of snakes and still pulled it apart to right. save her life and shoo the snakes away. Yeah, it, yeah. She she's it's, a she's a really fun character. Yes. Uh, so so you were talking about. Uh, I don't think I have anything till after they leave. Okay. Uh, so. My only point here is, again, sort of this, like, interesting... Uh, I found that Portis, throughout reading this book, I found that Portis had these really interesting... First off, great book. I really mm-hmm. like this book. I, I mean, I love the movie, and knowing how much of the movie... Knowing how short the book is, mm-hmm. and knowing how much of the book is just straight on the screen, mm-hmm. uh, I'm very grateful to know that, because it is just... It's just very good. It's a very well-written book, and I'll get to that at the end. I'll do, I'll do the thing at the end. But one of the things I noticed throughout that I really enjoyed was how often uh, Portis will write these little tiny nuggets of a story or mm-hmm. a comment or something that will add this depth. Like mm-hmm. it'll be this little amount of stuff, a little bit of words and content, but it adds this breadth of depth to the world or to a character. And, and this moment is one of those moments where when Ned Pepper dumps out the the mailbag from the train, he says, Christmas gift, uh, as he does it. Yes, yes and, he does. And Maddie comments that, that apparently, because uh, I, I was trying to comprehend this thing, she explains that that's it's like, like a tradition a, from the 1870s. Like tra- yeah, it's like a tradition where it, at Christmas, uh, children would race on Christmas morning to see which one of them could say Christmas gift first or something like that. And I'm not sure... I, I had to extrapolate because that's all he basically says about it. I, mm-hmm. I, my guess is that what that game, if it's a game, would be is who gets to open the first present. Now, perhaps, perhaps in the old west in the seventies, in the eighteen seventies, Christmas would like presents were the kind of thing you would hide like Easter eggs. Oh, maybe. so when kids woke up, this is me. I'm, I'm fucking dude. This is conjecture. <laughs> this is me frog DNAing a a, a lot. Sure. But my guess is it's like that, where the first kid to find the first gift sort of won Christmas. Mm-hmm. 
That makes sense. To, there's plenty of other games where you have like the bean and the cake or the 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 coin in the Christmas pudding, and the person who gets that is supposed to have luck or gets an extra special present. Right. I mean, we've all the baby and the king cake. Sure, you know? sure. But, but it's, it's, it's a was, famous. I'm saying it, it seems like an obvious thing that um, you could extrapolate from from people's yes. behavior. I also was thinking that out on prairies, you might not have trees to chop down for if depending on when that tradition started, because I really mm-hmm. don't know. But like, if you if you don't have trees to chop down to turn into Christmas trees. Where are you going to put your presents? Uh, well, I mean, Christmas trees. Or when did present gifting become a... Th- I don't know. There's so much about history well, I don't understand. I mean, a lot of Christmas that we know of came from, you know, Christmas Carol. And mm-hmm. that still took a t- time to filter elsewhere. And Christmas trees were a German thing. And I'm not sure when that... Martin Luther, maybe? But I feel like not necessarily all the people that might have just it's definitely had, Germanic, right? Like... The tree, yeah. But yeah. I'm saying people on the prairie might have just had a Christmas bush or a... Uh, Christmas candle, Christmas tumbleweed, Christmas tumbleweed. Um, so, but, but, uh, so that, that game, she mentions that game. And I, the thing that I found really fascinating about it was that Maddie reflects on that moment and thinks to herself that it had not occurred to her that these bandits must've been children once and had childhoods and like her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was a, I think what she's saying is like, Oh, how how traumatic or awful these children must have been! Like these men as children must have been dreadful, mm-hmm. is what she's saying. But I like to think of it like when I when I think about villains or or people who are criminals. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you ever see stories about criminals on the news, I I often I have sometimes sometimes it will occur to me like oh you know these people were children once, what events and circumstances led them to being this person, mm-hmm. like like. I am trying to empathize with that and th- and not immediately jump to this is an evil, bad person, but more like imagining that kid opening up a tricycle on Christmas mm-hmm. or imagining that kid at a birthday party, sure. either having a good time or a bad time, like having a bad birthday or having a good birthday and thinking like somehow, some way, all it's like Schrodinger's childhood. All, all of these opportunities are possible. And, but, but regardless of how like, innocent this person may have been they ended up doing something bad horrible yeah yeah and uh but i still think it adds an element of humanity to uh people we would judge as villainous right well it also it it, it does a double duty of adding humanity to lucky ned and maddie because she's having the realization and it's showing how ned had just a little bit of fun yeah my next, my own, my, I have one more note on the rest <laughs> okay, of this. I've got some notes. I've got some okay, notes. Okay. My, my next note is just on Little Blackie's death. So if you oh, have anything. We, we, we got away this before. Okay. Uh, this almost seemed like a new word, but since I knew both of these words, I just didn't understand the phrase, but I looked it up because it was in quotes. Brown study. When Tom Chaney was sitting there sulking after they had left, his face was a brown study. Do you remember that? Sure. Well, she said that, uh, which is, is, a that, mel- is that a like, is that not a reference to like art to like, no, it's a melancholy mood accompanied by deep thought. Basically. Oh, brooding. interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was like, if you were going to stay like, like it was like a blue period, like for an artist, I was thinking like yeah, a brown study, a brown sure. study would be like a study in brown. No. Like I'm working on this, on expanding my ex- understanding of this palette in the way this color works. I, that's how I interpreted it, but okay. Cool. Um, more of my dread. Uh, I'm like you're five shadowing the snake pit at this point. I get they, they it already. Are. Fucking get on with it. Ugh, there's snakes in that pit. Oh, snake, 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 snake. Oh, she fell down. Oh, snake. Oh, fa- oh my god. 
Yeah, but 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 then she gets in the pit. No. Oh, 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 we'll get to it. 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 Um. Okay. Then I wrote because this is all this is happening in real time for me. I'm like, <laughs> I can feel note. the tension that you're feeling just reading the notes. So okay. it's uh, interesting. <laughs> I had forgotten about the pit behind me. She wrote. Deep breath. Here we go. <laughs> I had to take that pause. Okay. Um. Oh, 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 yes. Okay, so another, this took me out of it into a different place. Um, she had a little meditation on using her broken arm for leverage and how that was probably a bad thing, which took me back to shattering my collarbone and trying to push myself up with that arm and, and fucking up my fracture even worse. Ugh. Yeah, because I'm like, why is my arm not working? And I'm just shoving the, the bones <laughs> I didn't feel it because, like you know, like like her with the pins and needles, it was I was in shock. But I hate thinking about that, and that took me right back to that. It was very visceral. I was like, "Oh, thanks, book." Huh. Wow, wow. And then finally, we get to the snake bite. <laughs> Just like the movie. Just like I was very impressed with this. Just like the movie, I remember. Well, that's what I said, but I was dreading when this was going to happen. But when it happens, it's very matter-of-fact and clinical. Yeah. Well, in the movie, too, I was just like, oh, okay, huh. You took a lot of horror out of that for me for something that's been building up. Interesting, interesting, Joel Nathan Cohen, and interesting Charles Portis. She's like, the snake was pulling its head away and had a little drip of venom. She's like, oh, that little guy bit me. And I'm just like, this is almost a children's book here. Huh, okay. But then we have Rooster coming down. And kicking all the snakes out of the way, and a big snake wraps its le- and around its leg, them. and I'm just like, ah, oh, there it is. There's the yuck. My <sighs> memory of that scene in the movie is that the snakes look very clearly digital, mm. and that took that, I, that for a movie that I feel like is almost perfect. Digital that, snakes are not scary. That is the part that isn't perfect. Is the is the digital effects for the snakes? They snakes on a plane, not scary. Not scary. The, I, I, what's the what's the the Jennifer? Is it Jennifer Lopez? Anaconda? Fl- yes. That movie is hilarious. That snake, not scary. There's a scene at the beginning where there's a little tiny baby snake wrapped around a guy's finger, and it just goes, Meow! and bites his finger. I screamed. Because that, <laughs> that was a real snake. Wow. Uh, but uh, Anaconda, I'm like, meh, digital snake. Because <laughs> I, uh, I do think that this movie's almost perfect, and this is the one part that I, I look at and I go, Oh, that sucks that the thing that's the, the part of this movie that is a detraction is the, like a climax. And it makes me wish they had tried to go for even practical fake snakes. Like sure. if you look at like, uh, Raiders, um, great snakes, mixing fake and real snakes in a big pile makes a mm-hmm. lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you could even like have like, there's ways to shoot around that with real snakes that would, that, could make them fun. Now I don't want to pretend like, or that I would understand the challenges of doing that. And that said, in that reality oh, sure. or whatever, but sure. it does make me wish that that opportunity had worked to try sure. it real and, and do it with real snakes. Um, Cause there's this... something about the way that they are matted in that doesn't, it just does. It, they look, it's like that Scooby-Doo, door they're about to walk into where it's like that's obviously yes, a fake yes, thing yes yes like i know what piece of fabric is going to get picked up exactly because it's a different shade yes yeah um it did make me think though about i i just, just the whole psychology of how they showed it both in the book and in the movie of showing the snake pulling its head away and not 
as a glorifying, but really just, you know, focusing on the horror of the impending bite. Um, because a lot of my problem with this subject comes from, again, Lonesome Dove. Where Which I haven't seen. I, there's a scene where they're fording a river, water moccasins everywhere, and they go to break with this slow motion shot of a snake open mouth clamping onto a guy's face. And that's like where like 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 it's like one of those where it gets slower and it's like and they fade to black. And so that is you know imprinted in my brain. And so that's why I'm just like, ah oh. and this is just like, oh no, we're the snake's de- decoupling at this point. And you're like, oh that's okay, that's fine. I mean, minus, you know, the horrible necrotic venom. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's just an interesting way of what you're showing, telling the same story mm-hmm. of a snake bite. Yeah. The anticipation is the worst. Or dying from it. I'm drawing a line in the sand and snakes can't cross it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good luck. Um, what's your next note? Um, very matter of fact ending. Which oh, okay. we've kind of talked about. I'm sure we'll talk about some more. So talk to me about Little Blackie. Uh, Little Blackie's death. Um, that was one of those moments in the movie where I remember being like, oh, my God, that's really brutal. Uh, and if, if again, if you haven't read it, listener, what happens is basically Little Blackie's a pony. OK, he's a small, small little pony. Um, little pony. And uh, he's not used to carrying anybody more than maddie's weight so when rooster gets on him rooster's an overweight 45 I, I year remember. old yeah he's a 45 year old man maybe i don't even know if he's older than that maybe i don't know he's older tell. in the movie but yeah but but doing the math this, by the end of the book he's 40 yeah five four, okay four, five. so he uh yeah he uh he's a heavier man and and so the pony gives it its all and it goes and it goes and it goes all night and when by the time he wakes up and he won't go anymore rooster basically stabs little blackie in in the leg or in the underside or like something in the haunch he, or something yeah he stabs yeah. him he takes out his knife and, and like just starts stabbing him and that encourages little blackie to keep writing and when he refuses to write anymore after that at least in the book and i don't remember this part from the movie but in the book it says that rooster pulls out some salt and rubs salt in the wound which pushes blackie even further to the <sighs> point where yeah i know it, it where where then Blackie at this point goes as far as he can until his heart explodes <laughs> is basically what they say. Yeah. It, it goes, he goes until he, until he collapses dead. And then, and, and this, and the whole time Maddie is screaming out for, to, for rooster to stop and to leave the pony alone. Cause she's delirious and doesn't understand that her circumstances. Right. And he does. He might, she might still have wanted him to stop, but there was either, no either way for she, her she, and yeah. he wasn't going to. Right. And, uh, and so he gets her, he, and so that, then that happened, it made me, it sort of gave me a pause to think that it's, it's kind of interesting to look at besides the horrificness of that sequence and how like awful it is to read and to think about and to feel. It's interesting to look at this book as a, from a perspective of like how Charles Portis views our use of animals. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting because he sort of puts it in a well-balanced frame in, in, in both the instance with the strangled mule earlier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in this little blackie moment where blackie little blackie dies it's 
it's like we see Portis's opinion of how the relationship between man and beast should work, but we see it through Rooster's perspective. Mm-hmm. So he uses Rooster as the lens through which we see Charles Portis's perspective on how to treat animals and and, and especially beast of burden. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of like he's saying that it's like we should be respectful and appreciative and caring for these creatures, but also never forgetting that these creatures are meant to serve our needs to that end. Sometimes those beasts must be pushed beyond comfort. And in this instance to death. Sure. And I just thought that was really like a fascinating, like, I mean, fascinating. It's just like, it's interesting that he, like it was something he took time to put into the book. The idea that there's these two instances, one where rooster who kills little blackie for, for the greater good earlier saves a different horse or, or mule from, sure. from, from cruelty and discomfort. Well, and it, it does so much at telling us Rooster's character too, because he yeah. hates the cruelty to animals and yet will do it or, right. or finds himself in a situation where it's not even a second thought. But because, because he has true grit, like that's the thing is that it's, it's this thing where it's almost like this whole book is a, uh, like a thesis about proving what true grit is this mm-hmm. idea of like true grit is the the concept of pushing yourself as far as you can go to get what you need to get done done and i might not have said that in the most eloquent way it, 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 that's how i interpret it this idea of like it's about someone who's gonna just do what needs to be done when it needs to be done like mm-hmm. maddie maddie shoots tom cheney Maddie pushes little Blackie across the river. Maddie tells the guys we have to stop shooting corn doggers or Dodgers. Like we have to keep going. Uh, Rooster saves that mule. Rooster walks out there and kills Tom, like Lucky Ned Pepper's whole gang basically by himself. And Rooster saves this little girl and, and, and pushes this horse to death to save her life. And then eventually gets sort of like a, a you know, a shitty end of that stick <laughs> through her lawyer. But it's just like, I just, I just, I felt like it was an interesting, while that, like the mule scene, this scene did bother me, mm-hmm. but not, but in that way where it's like, listen, I, uh, I've seen Wrath of Khan. Like, I know what it means to have to make a sacrifice. <laughs> and like, that's what this is to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that, it's like, there is a greater good here. And we have, like, you have to be able to make those calls. And if you don't, you're going to end up sad and with the sometimes the worst option. Right. If you just let things happen to you. So anyway, I I thought it was a really poetic and interesting way to handle that. And uh, that's all that's all the notes I have. So we can we're going to continue talking, but that's yeah. all I have for notes. So what do you have any more? I don't really have. Well, I've got some notes in my af- in the afterward, which I don't think you had. I don't know if I had an afterward. I, I, I read up until she says like, yeah. The afterwards, the part- not by Charles Portis. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did, I did not have it. So we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Um, the rest of the story: Maddie loses her arm from the bite. Yeah, from she the gets bite. Amputated. Gets amputated. Uh, Rooster gets yelled at by the lawyer. Stops being a marshal. Eventually joins a Wild West show. And I I remember this as I was reading it. As she she goes to 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 um to to see him in her thirties finding he died just a couple days earlier so just no real closure there and it's just uh yep that was the story yeah kind of ending i love the the last line of at least of the actual book not the mm. uh afterwards or the last couple lines she says 
I judge he is in his 70s now. This is that thing you were talking about earlier about the last episode about how Portis can get real descriptive. He can spend a lot of time describing something and then he can jump to real curt, real short, real to the point, real like short but sweet kind of uh, writing. And this is one of those, I think. Uh, in, this is Maddie talking, but she says, I judge he, uh, of Labeef, I judge he is in his 70s now and nearer 80 than 70. I expect some of the starch has gone out of that cowlick. Time just gets away from us. This ends my true account of how I avenged Frank Ross's blood over in the Choctaw Nation when snow was on the ground. <laughs> it's just fucking... It's, I think the thing that I really like about that is this feels like the kind of way people wrote in those fucking Civil War letters from that Ken Burns yeah. documentary. Like, that's the thing that charms me about this, is when he writes as her in this way, it evokes that feeling of the there's, time period. There's a simplicity, but also an, it's an honest simplicity. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a, manufactured. Yeah. yeah, it's earnest. It, it's got this real, uh, like, uh, authentic, uh, authentic feeling of... This is how people at that time spoke. They, you know, at least in this person, she was she was very straight to the point. Needed to get needed to get what she needed to get done and said, and then she said it. Um, yeah, it's just I I love it. Anyway, what else did you want to say about it? Um, do you know the author Donna Tart? No, is this the afterword? Yes. Okay. No, I don't know her. Uh, she wrote The Goldfinch. Oh, I've heard of that. It's a movie recently. Yeah, is, I, I think I've heard of Secret that. History, Little Friend. That's just to give you an idea of who she is. She loves this book. She it's 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 been passed down matriarch matriarch maternally. It's been passed down maternally through her family, like her grandmother, her mom, her. They all loved it. Um, and she kind of went off just uh, in the afterward, all about her uh, affinity for the book and what it's meant to her. And she actually reads the audiobook. Oh wow! Yeah, if you got that. But the the one note I, I, I really liked from her afterward was she was talking about the a lot of people make the allusions between Huck Finn and Maddie. Oh, right, right. Huck Finn is Maddie's literary ancestor. And Donna Tart points out that they're kind of disparate characters. They're totally different. Um, yeah. She said she's less Huck Finn's little sister than Captain Ahab's. And oh. I, really, I really like that observation. Wow, that is... I when I think what did we made that comparison, didn't we? we like we, we talked about it, yeah. Yeah. Um I I, I don't think the, that the, 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 the cross point, country I, journey, old timey. Well that and and the I think there's a canniness that's similar that's between the two of them mm-hmm. that's worth not discounting. But I agree that Huck Finn is he's a con man. Right. Like, well, 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 okay, to be more specific, no, Huck Finn isn't a con man. Tom is. Yes. Uh, t- but, but Huck is easygoing. Don, Don, Donna pointed out that like if t- uh, if Huck were to join the army, he'd desert and get back yes. to doing something fun. Right. Whereas Maddie is an amazing soldier, but can't because she's a woman. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. What else you got? That's about all I got. Yeah, I uh, I really love this book. I feel like it's a really interesting book to read after reading Ready Player One because I feel like it's kind of the anti-Ready Player One. Okay. It's, how? it's uh well in that as I I use that metaphor for Ready Player One is the 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 book about why Chekhov's guns important, mm. like about why that's an important rule to at least work at following. Not just to, thumb your nose at because you were told you have to do it. 
Right, and not just write a masturbatory like log of all the shit you like, and then create a fantasy world where everybody likes all the shit you like and are and are re- like reverence to you because you like that shit. Right. <laughs> and, and and like and in doing so, it like it's no wonder that in that book, so much of it is wasted, mm-hmm. and and worthless to a, to a degree I, I i'm not saying that book is worthless i'm just saying there's so much of it that is uh the that is fat that is unnecessary uh tissue mm-hmm. and true greed is a lean fucking book it like is super lean that in comparison like it is it is the perfect example of Chekhov's gun it, it is it is I, I would say it's a perfect book for everything inside this book inside this story is important it's relevant it's valuable there's there's nothing that's thrown away because everything that happens even if it's like the asides where they're like shooting corn dodgers and stuff it's 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 informing character mm-hmm. and it's doing it in a way that is short and it doesn't waste it doesn't fill up a chapter explaining why this is filling up a character this is informing a character it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't it's not wasteful it doesn't disrespect the reader and the reader's time by wasting all this space, even the stuff at the end where like Maddie's sort of giving you a cliff notes on what happens to everybody in it. She mentions that, uh, Lawrence, was that his name? The, the guy that escapes the prison in the, in the, in the, uh, the barrel that, uh, that, that was the mission. That was the, the job that got rooster kicked out of the marshals because right. he did kill that guy. But because rooster is, quick with a gun he also ends up killing two other guys who while they were with this guy and therefore probably weren't the greatest people hadn't actually committed any crimes at that point right it ends like so like that's the thing where like he had portis had set that character up from the beginning of the book it reintroduced him to remind the audience that he is important in the towards the the middle Mm -hmm. and then at the end Adds in, oh yeah, by the way, that guy, he's still doing something. And every time it like, it adds something. Sure. Um, even, even like the, uh, I'll, I'll go so far as to say even those brothers at the end who seem like, like kind of, you could make the argument that they're unnecessarily wacky, that they are oh, like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Lucky Ned Peppers gang members. Yeah, the guy who just cockadoodles and hoots like an owl or whatever. Like, you could make an argument that that's just silliness and it's bizarre and it's weird and it's useless, but I don't think it is. I think it's an example of, like, Portis saying, like, uh, who knows what happens to these guys? Like, someone gets kicked in the head by a horse. Who knows what happens to that brain? And who knows, like, what you can do to influence a person who's uh, mentally not there at this time? Like, what happens to, to disabled people? Mm-hmm. at least and i guess i'm presuming the guy's disabled maybe he's not i i just sort of got the impression from the way that she was right that he was written that these two at least at least one of these brothers is psychotic or like has some sort of significant trouble with translating thoughts to vocals like to words something is real wrong with this guy well i thought part of the reason he crowed though was because of rooster's name maybe but again, like he doesn't actually speak. See, I think I had not noticed that part. Yeah, every time that guy makes any vocalization, it's a sound of a, th- it's something. It's it's some mm-hmm. sort of weird sound. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That makes way so, more like, sense now. 
it's not like he was like mocking Rooster. It's not like he's fucking uh, Rufio. He <laughs> he's uh, he's actually like, you know, he's trying to he's he's just making crazy person sounds. Sure. Like I, I thought more Brad Pitt, 12 Monkeys kind of character. OK, but also essentially nonverbal. Anyway, <laughs> that was like interesting like that even even that much is there for a reason is what i'm saying okay and i i find it really refreshing again like after having read ready player one which again has just so much extra this book is it's probably one of the best books i've ever read wow in that in that it's just it just does its goddamn job (laughs) like (laughs) Uh, okay i like that there's so many books that don't you know, there's no, so many books very that, true. It's very that are true. that just like you read them and you're like, it feels like homework. And this book, like even the parts that feel kind of like dull are still like you understand. Yeah, you still like you're I'm still following. Like I'm not I'm not out of it. I'm not right. like, oh, I, like like even the, like he, he has this really brilliant talent, at least in this book. And I haven't read any of his other works, but at least in this book of making mundane aspects of progressing a story along entertaining, like things like Maddie having to sleep with grandma Turner and like how silly that is and how like you could feel how unfortunate it is where she wakes up shivering and like not having any covers. And I think in the movie, and I don't remember this, if this is the book in the movie, I, I think there's an insinuation that grandma Turner is very gassy at night. And so you really get that feeling of like how uncomfortable this experience is for this girl. And again, she puts up with it because she's got grit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I could repeat myself over and over and over and just say the same thing for an hour, but I, I can't not, I don't think I could recommend this book enough where it's just like, it's truly a really good book. I don't know if I've read a book that I would consider to be great mm-hmm. yet, like the kind of book that changes a person's life. Sure. But this is a really good book. <laughs> it's interesting. So you definitely take the Donna Tart uh, road. To yeah. how much you like this book. I really like the book. It made me laugh. It was very engaging. Everything you said about it was true. At the end of the day, I think I like a little more fat in my books. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm just I'm just like it was good. It was really good. It it didn't connect with me on the level it's connecting with you. I mean, all those things again, all those things are true, but it was an enjoyable read. Um but there's there's something missing for me, and I don't I can't. Maybe I just wanted to spend more time with these characters. It was in, it was out. Maybe Maddie's narration was a little too staid at times. It was great for character development, but at the same time, it, it, maybe it, it it's like when I'm talking to a person I don't really like. I'm just like, you know, I, I don't want to spend time with you right now. I think one of the things I will say because I I I. I'm not going to really amend my comments. Oh, I don't think because should. I feel like the book is one of the things I really value about fiction is efficiency. Sure, obviously, but um, I will say if I was to give it a a note, I feel like the ending is sort of sudden. I I feel like the there if there was one more adventure, <laughs> if there was one more obstacle mm-hmm. between them camping, and then suddenly, Lucky Ned Pepper and Tom Cheney are standing right there. Mm-hmm. If there was an, I, I get why it's there. I get why he did it. 
because mm-hmm. it's surprising and it's right. sort of like oh shit because it also again it's it's not it's not unthought out the reason it's happened is because rooster got drunk and misled them like rooster fucked up and got them too close to the actual camp mm-hmm. without realizing it because he wasn't in his right mind so in that sense it doesn't feel rushed because it feels justified like it earns that quick ending but as the reader who like i feel like what you're saying is likes these characters likes this world and wants to be in it a little bit longer it would have been cool to have just a little bit more journey i think i think that might have been uh agreeable to me yeah um that i would i would uh i would endorse that criticism but it was a fantastic book yeah i'm really glad we we got we got it uh to because i i was i remember when we when we got this one my thought was like oh wow didn't expect that uh hope it's good and it, um, it really is did you rewatch the movie yet no of course not well i meant since you, no you had finished reading okay no okay no uh should <laughs> i will i fucking will as 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 soon as we're done um <laughs> tonight <laughs> maybe okay. um have you uh do you want to talk about your submergence into a uh, western <laughs> content <laughs> it 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 ah uh, it it does seem i do go through phases uh <laughs> I have never sat down and mapped them out over the course of the year, but I feel like seasons have uh, genre phases for me. And around springtime, cowboy things seem to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I started I started playing Red Dead Redemption 2 right around the same time. We started reading True Grit right around the same time. I had the thought in the middle of the night, hey, I, I should I should start watching Lonesome Dove out of nowhere. Find out the next morning, Larry McMurtry, author of Lonesome Dove, died that night. Um, more, more of a ghost story there, because I'm sure he was con- talking to me. Uh, but still, just, just this convergence of cowboy media all of a sudden is very odd and culminated with true grit. And then I, I joined, I jumped on your bandwagon. Yeah, uh, your I, made, or... I made one comment like, oh, that happened in the game I'm playing. And you're like, I have to own it now. That's and exactly what happened. That's what happened. <laughs> Next day, um, look what I bought. It was more like we were talking about it, and and I was like, I think what was happening to me is that I really wanted to watch the movie ah. right then, and I couldn't because I needed to finish reading the book. So this offered I, you a way to experience. I could some get of some that. cowboy content and and, get, and and be immersed in it by picking up the game, and so I went out and I got Red Dead Redemption Two for like 50% off GameStop hey. uh, last weekend and then played it for like 20 hours. And uh, I probably haven't progressed that far, but yeah, I definitely, definitely jumped right in. And then, and then I also not lonesome dove, but I also indulged myself with watching a Western. Which one? One I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I chose to watch the shooting. I don't know the shooting. The shooting is a 1966 Western. Is it like NBC's The Slap? I no. <laughs> wow, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, Holy right. shit. Oh wow, I forgot about the slap. Wow. God damn, is that on Netflix? I would watch that now. Now I'm knowing not, that it's completely canceled, I would watch the shit out of the slap. I know there's an Australian version that it was based on. But I, I don't know if the so slap. So weird. What a weird human. pull. Anyway, um uh the answer is I don't fucking know who, who I barely remember that that was a thing. Um, but the shooting is a 1966 Western 
starring Jack Nicholson. Oh. And some other people that I didn't really recognize them. Um, I'll look it up really quick so that you, because you might go, oh, that person, they were this person. Because um, you do that. Does that mean sometimes? Well, Occasionally. I've been known to speak about a person's career. Uh, the price is right. Millie Perkins. Not off the top of my head. Not off the top of your head. She was uh, Anne Frank in the Diary of Anne Frank, hmm. 1959. Okay. I think that's the that's the big one. Warren Oates. Oh yeah, Sergeant Holka. Warren Oates was not only Sergeant Holka in Stripes, he was not only in In the Heat of the Night, but he was in the musical Tom Sawyer with Jodie Foster. Well, so you do know him. I do know him. <laughs> the only other person in the movie that I noticed who was uh, that is in the, the there's really the movie, the movie basically has four people in the cast. Sure. It's really it. Will Hutchins, is that name familiar to you? I feel like it's... I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't, but it's, he's the only I feel like it's person. a familiar... I actually want to look him up. That's a familiar name, but when you say it, what comes to mind is like a 80s actor. Let me put it this way. His IMDb photo is from this film, so it wouldn't oh, surprise no, me no, at all. No, no, not at all. Don't know, I don't know yeah. this guy at all. So anyway, this movie. Um, I, I, I caught it on TV... I caught half of it on TV and I was watching it. I was like, is this Jack Nicholson, this weird Western? And there's this moment where he, uh, Jack Nicholson, this guy, at the, when I watched it, I didn't know who these characters were. When I, when I saw it on TV, I, I didn't know who these characters were. But this guy turns out to be Willie Hutchins' character, rides up on Jack Nicholson, pulls out a gun on him, he's going to shoot him. And then Jack Nicholson quick draws and shoots him off the horse. And then somebody asks Jack Nicholson, why'd you shoot him? And, he, and Jack Nicholson's amazing in this movie. He just says, in the most, like, idiotic murderous deadpan goes he pulled his gun on me <laughs> or something like that he just basically goes, he 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 just says basically like he pulled his gun on me first he shouldn't have done that <laughs> and anyway, so i saw that on tv and i said gotta find this movie gotta gotta, <laughs> gotta find this weird fucking movie where jack nicholson plays a like a deadpan cowboy and so I find it on. Uh, turns out I th- I think it's a, I think it's a movie that the Criterion Collection has uh, pulled as part of their like uh, library. It's not mm. I don't, it's not in the collection as a as a. You you can't buy a, it, but it's on their streaming service. I don't know if it's on the streaming service. It's oh. on HBO Max, uh, and HBO okay. Max has has a very clear licensing deal with Criterion to get a whole bunch of classic movies, and this was one of them. Gotcha. So while I don't think you could get the spine, uh-huh. I don't think it has a Criterion spine number. It, the Criterion Channel or like Criterion Collection label was in the front of the film. So uh, watched it. Real weird movie, man. Uh, it, if you want to watch a bare bones western that has is is very reliant on location, it has a spine. It looks like it does. Wow, is it just DVD? I'm trying to figure that out. Spine seven thirty four, Blu-ray. Oh, it comes with shoot the shooting slash ride in the whirlwind. So it's a, it's like a box set. So it's you know it you know what it comes with. It comes with that fucking Jack Nicholson box set. The uh, uh, two films uh, by Monty Hellman. Oh no, that's not that one. I didn't. Oh, it's interesting. Man, shit. 
Okay. Um, two films by Monty Hillman. I'll have to look that up. Because I know that there's that, like, the story of BCA or whatever it's called, that one box set that's, like, a whole bunch of Nicholson films from the 70s, like, the one that's the cover of him on a piano in the back of a trailer or something. Hmm. And I assumed it would be in that one. But, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, it, it, it's this it's this really low, it looks like a super low-budget flick of these, you know, these people in the, in the West where there's these two gold miners who, uh, someone in like, they had a, they were working at this gold mine and, and somebody came in and, and murdered one of their like people while, and another one like ran away after some, you know, there's four of them in the, to begin with. And when, in Warren Oates, the start of the film is Warren Oates coming back to camp and finding Will Hutchins, like freaked out and panicked and like sun, sun bleached. And like, he's gone kind of crazy guarding the camp because while, uh, Warren was gone. Somebody came in and uh, like rustled up one of their guys and that guy ran off. And then a couple days, a day later, someone else came by and shot the last guy in the camp that wasn't will. And so when Warren comes back, will thinks it's them coming back to finish off the camp. And then they get together and they finish, they, they start the camp back together, trying to figure out what they're going to do. And then Millie Perkins shows up out of nowhere and says that she needs help. Like get into this town nearby so then they, and she'll pay them like a thousand dollars to get her there. And they're like suspicious. And she says that she had to kill her horse um, because it broke its leg back there or whatever. And when they go to look at, they go, she says, she says, come with me to get my stuff off my horse and come back and, and whatever. So they go and check it and the horse is fine. They, they have this real odd thing start happening. Like she, she shot the horse to death, but it's legs weren't broken. It, nothing's wrong with it. And so all this weird stuff happens. Like, why does she have this much money? Why does she need to get there that badly? Like, she's really persistent and kind of bratty. And then the whole movie is just, like, they they agree. But there's all this tension. It's brilliant and, like, all this, the way it, it makes you really dread this job. And then as they go, she's a real jerk to them. Like, she's really unhelpful. She won't tell them what her name is. She's condescending and rude and demanding. Like, she's constantly doing, like, bratty things like... I don't like this horse. Take my saddle off this horse and put it on that horse now. Like stuff like that. It's just like, Oh, aggravating under your skin stuff. And, and Warren plays it so well of being like, like frustrated, but he's her employee at this point. Mm-hmm. So he just does shit like that for her. And then as they're going through the desert to like on this trail to this, this town they're supposed to go to, it starts to become clear that they're actually trailing somebody. They're actually following somebody else not going to a certain town, but following a person, but she won't tell them who it is or why. And then every once in a while, as they're walking, she'll just pull out her, her pistol, her revolver and just start shooting at stuff. Just, just the dirt, just bang, bang, bang. And they're like, what are you doing? And then will get spoilers, by the way, if anybody wanted to see this movie, uh, will it, it's very, he's the character actor plays it so well where his character is so stupid. And like his character just sort of falls for her. Mm-hmm. and wants to and like like says things to warren like i just want to make sure you're not you don't have eyes for her because i kind of do and i intend to pursue them and it's like it's just like you feel so bad for this character because you you as the audience and and warren both know something much more important is going on and you're probably you're thinking about the wrong thing man because mm-hmm. this is all very suspicious event and, and if, so he he makes excuses for her when warren's like why are you continuing to shoot and uh Will Will's character says, "Oh, you know, she's just getting 
getting target practice. She's getting a lot better too. And it's like, so stupid. <laughs> like he eventually it becomes very clear that someone's following them. And it becomes clear that the, I mean, do you want me to keep talking yeah, about yeah, this? Yeah, okay. I'm in it now. Okay. Um, it becomes clear that she is firing her pistol to signal the person following them to their location. So every time she shoots her gun, that pings like this person to go that direction. I see them. There they are. I'll keep following. And eventually that person catches up with him. And that person is Jack Nicholson. And he is. And then it becomes kind of clear. They are bad guys. Like they, she and he know each other and they are working together. They've caught up together. Now they are going to do some, they're, they're scoundrels. They're like, you know, criminals. Uh, and then the rest of this movie is this death march into the, into the desert, uh, as they are cruel and the desert is cruel. And eventually they, uh, get their man. And then the movie just kind of ends. And it's, it's, it's very, it's a very interesting movie in a lot of ways, and one of those ways is how simplistic it is, but how, and, and it has a lot of problems. Like, there's a lot of problems with, like, the, the on-set production audio is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Like, there's lots of shouting and lots of, like, over-modulated voices, and sometimes the shots take too long. Like, sometimes they'll sit on one shot for too long where it would have been better to cut and move and, like, help with the editing, but it's a... Uh, it's one of those movies where it's like, it's not a great movie, but it's one of those movies that is a good Western. Gotcha. So like for that reason, I, 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 that, so I indulged myself in some more Western con like uh, content by, by watching the shooting. So uh, if you want to watch a very simple bare bones, but pretty enjoyable Western movie, uh, you could do worse than the shooting. I, anyway, I'm I'm grateful that we we read this. I, I would recommend this book to anybody. I, I think it's it's one of those books where I read it and I'm like, why isn't this in why wasn't this a book I read in high school? Like right. why wasn't this a book that was assigned reading in middle school? So new word alert. Mm. I think. I mean let me find out. Uh, okay, probably not. I don't think I actually have a new word alert. Well that's fine. I okay. The the new word I looked up was the word cashier. Because at the end, the way Maddie refers to if she wanted to take a husband, she would make him... She, the way she said it was, I would make him cashier. Which I read as, like, a verb. Or, like, a an adjective. Not as the noun of a job in her bank. Like, a cashier in her bank. Is what she meant. I, I thought, like, maybe she means, like, cachet. Like, she would get, make him have an attribute. And so I had to look oh. up that word. and gotcha. And I was like... Like, like I would make him fancy or I would make him a, a debutante or something like that. And then I read it and it was like, no, she just means she would give him a job. She would just make him a cashier. Um, so that's, that's why it felt in my head. It felt like I had a new word. I didn't. Mm. Well, do you have anything else to say? I don't. Do you just want to, you want to do the fun part? You want to yeah, do the thing? You want to do it. the thing? Let's do the thing. Oh man. Like a like Christmas gift. Um, <laughs> shit. Con it. <laughs> okay. So it's a book rat party, which means um, we determine what book we read next. Our next episode is our 100th episode. 
uh, which is a weird milestone. It's a weird thing. It means we've been doing this podcast for, well, we've been doing it for like three years. Two or three, but, yeah. But we actually have been doing it every week for like two. Yeah. Because we did we did the first season or of Harry Potter and then took like a long time off before we even like edited it or anything. And then we started going hard and doing it every week. Practically religion. Thanks, COVID. <laughs> uh, I figured we might try to do something. We'll st- we're gonna what we're gonna do now for the 100th episode is we're gonna start reading a new a new book. But maybe maybe not just a new book. Maybe a new series. It's been a while is, since we've is, done a series. Is kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Now I don't know exactly how this is gonna work. If we do it, I don't know how long it's gonna go with which series we may get. But I've collected a handful of things that I think are worth trying. Okay. Uh, so one through six, we're gonna we're gonna start it off. So starting off six series. Well, we'll see. <laughs> um so starting off in the uh number one slot is I'll I'll put this in the number one slot because it's the one I want to read the least. <laughs> okay. Sorry sorry for saying that. Uh okay. but because I haven't, I haven't read it, and I don't know if it's good. But uh, I happen to have the first book in the Wild Card series. Um, so the Wild Card series is a, it's it's a, it's a ser- I think it's a series of essentially short stories, all in the same shared universe by different authors, uh, featuring, uh, s- like sort of steampunky superheroes. I think. Okay. Is this, and, and the and the t- this, the team, as far as I understand it, are called the Wild Cards. I know and it's, nothing about this. It's edited by George R. R. Martin, which is the right. reason it it gets some attention right now. But I don't believe he writes any of it. Um, maybe he does. But anyway, I've it's been recommended to me the series, and what was actually recommended to me was book three. Interesting. So, so we got a ways to get there. So I've, well, maybe if we get this one and we don't like it. I don't know if we need to continue. So with this one though, that's, that's the thing. Like, so book three was recommended to me. Uh, I'll read the back here. It says originally published in 1987 wild cards. One began the saga with powerful tales by Roger Zelsny, Walter John Williams, Howard Waldrop, Lewis Shiner and George R. R. Martin himself. Hmm. This new expanded edition contains additional original stories set at the beginning of the Wild Cards universe by eminent new writers such as Hugo Award winner David D. Levine, noted screenwriter and novelist Michael Michael Cassatt, and New York Times bestseller Carrie Vaughn. So, number one will be Wild Cards 1. Okay. The book that started it all. Next, uh, just because it still hasn't happened and it is a series, is The Hobbit. So you're going to count The Hobbit as part part of... Of Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings series. So we would go yes. Hobbit through Lord of the Rings. Yes. Okay. That okay. would be the idea with this. Okay. Now on to the thing that's sort of like the 17 book series one. Oh boy. Which we don't have to do all of. <laughs> that's the thing. I, 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 I just, anyway, is the, uh, I've mentioned liking Dungeons and Dragons before. You have. And the most popular and well-known Dungeons and Dragons book series is the uh, Driss de Urden series. So I have here at number three slot, the uh, R.A. Salvatore book one, Homeland, in the Dritz de Urden series. 
okay, that sounds kind of funky and cool. Uh, it, I've I have never heard, read a Dungeons and Dragons novel, so I've, I have heard nothing but high praise for this. Okay, so if I'm being honest, it's really high on my list of hoping we get to. Okay, because uh, you've never read it, I've never read it. Uh, again, I only hear good things, and I think it could be a lot of fun. Okay, so that's book three. So in the fourth slot, we're gonna get back to uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. With the John Carter of Mars series. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it can't be it can't be racist, right? Because they're aliens. Well, remember that John Carter books start in the Old West. I do remember that. So, <laughs> uh, I think it has plenty of opportunity to be racist. Um, but anyway, we would start with a princess of Mars. So in hmm. slot four is a princess of Mars, which okay. I also really, kind of really want to read. Um, sure. The wild card, sorry wild cards, but the real wild card of this thing is uh, is something I've never read and I really want I've really wanted to read for a while but haven't gotten around to and is a series but isn't a novel is the uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing series. You can't do that. That's a graphic novel. You're you're throwing it out. <laughs> what are we even doing here? Sorry, in slot oh, four. He got me with his wild disregard of the rules. Um, he flouted them directly at my face. Okay. Uh, it's prestigious. It's it's well-regarded. Doesn't that introduce John Constantine? Probably. Then I'm in. I think, I mean, I again, I'm, I feel like we got a pretty good stack here with whatever we get, we're going to have, it's going to be something. It'll be something interesting. <laughs> this is This would be a weird one to do our show with. Yes, because it it'll be it'll be just very strange to be like I don't know how to split this kind of thing up. Well, they're probably in issues. There are, but I'm not gonna do one issue per episode. We're no, gonna, but we, we could do like do two or more. How many um, are collected? I have like seven volumes of this. Oh, I see. So, so it's it's a I lot. I got you. I got um, you. Uh, so, Alan Moore's Swaga of the Swamp Thing, Book One, and then finally, <laughs> oh boy, this would be a this would be interesting. Seven novels by Jules Verne. I've got that book. Do you have this book? Have you read it? I've not yet. <laughs> well, uh, neither have I. <laughs> um, I have no idea if I will enjoy it. Sure. But I feel like there's only one way to find out. That's uh, very true. I've never it. read a Jules Verne. Me neither, and I don't know if the if the I don't know if uh. Five weeks in a balloon is the way to start, but it's <laughs> it's what we'll do. So is yeah, the this is, is the lonely island in there or whatever. Mysterious island. Yeah. Yep, it's the last one. That's I believe the sequel to Twenty Thousand Leagues. That's all I know about it. This book contains five weeks in a balloon, a journey to the center of the Earth, from the Earth to the Moon, round the Moon, twenty thousand leagues under the sea, around the world in eighty days. And the mysterious island. Okay. So that's what we're dealing with uh, for our possible selection of, of entering into the realm of a new series. Uh, maybe this is a huge mistake. I don't know. I've actually really liked reading a book and moving on. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also feel like, you know, it's 100. It's, it might as well start it off with a bang. Go so, big or go to the library. 
Yeah, exactly. So once again, uh, number. So I'm gonna roll the 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 chance cube of determination, and number one slot wild cards. Number two slot the Hobbit. Number three, Homeland, the R.A. Salvatore book. Number four, John Carter of Mars. Number five, Swamp Thing. Number six, Jules Verne seven novels. All right. Okay. Tension is palpable. <laughs> It's three. Okay, so I'm very excited about that. I didn't want to jinx it and say it, (laughs) and I'm sure it wouldn't have been if you hadn't knocked it off the desk the first time and caught it and thrown it again. But it's three. It's three because you got me really hyped up just from your just from your just from your uh, your description of it. I'm like, yeah, I'm into it. What What do you mean? Just just talking about Homeland and and how it's going to be good. I, I've heard nothing but good things. Like I, nothing but good things is a good thing, and it's a. I know it's 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 one of those where I've, I'd always walk in to the bookstore and just see the Dungeons and Dragons books. I'm like, there's no way for me to get into this. I this is this is <laughs> too massive. I have no no North Star. Well, I can tell you that I own four of. I have the first four of these books. So do you, have, do you have do you have copies of the first four of those? Do you have those twice? No. Oh well, then I will still have to get my own. Well, that that wasn't what I was suggesting. I, I wasn't trying to say that I would I would be able to bring it up. Well, I was bringing it up as saying that there, if we like it, I I have four opportunities before I have to go get a new book. Sure. I have four you know books to read through before we have to go get a new book. So, uh, yeah, uh, I've done the math, and it says that. If we if we split it up into around eighty four pages, according to of my book length, sure, um, that'll give us four episodes. Okay. So the first episode will be reading through uh, the prelude all the way through chapter six, and then stopping at chapter seven. Sounds good. Man, this is this is gonna be challenging. I have I have no idea if this is gonna be. Why is it gonna be challenging? Well, because it's because uh, I have high hopes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have okay. high expectations. I, I, I'm, with you. I'm with you. And and high hopes that it will be good. Um, and if it isn't, I will be disappointed. But at the same time, like I'm also so after reading True Grit, it occurs to me that it's it's sometimes it's really hard to like analyze adventure stories mm-hmm. like at least with tarzan there was so much to talk about because it was also this like weird out of time thing mm-hmm. and when was that book written uh homeland mm-hmm. 1990 okay i think that's the original copyright oh look there it is via the the libby library app so I'm downloading it right now. Nice. Originally published as book one of the Dark Elf trilogy in August 1990. Yeah, I mean, I knew there would be a copy at the library. Like, this book series is too popular for the library not to have it. Okay, so next time we're going to read Ari Salvatore. I think it's Ari Salvatore E. I think his name spelled. Like Salvatore. Spelled. Yeah, I think it's Salvatore. I, I, I don't know. His, his book one. Legend of Drizzt. Book one. Yep. Legend okay. of Driz- Drizzt. Drizzt. Sorry. Drizzt. Did I yeah, say it right? Drizzt. I think Drizzt. it's how you. Yeah. Tokyo Drizzt. Yeah. 
Yeah, Fast, Fast and, and Furious Tokyo Drizzt. Fast cool. and the Furious Forgotten Realm t- Drizzt. <laughs> Sword Coast Drizzt. Sorry, I'm just going to keep saying Dungeons and Dragons words. Okay, well, weird. <laughs> um, I saw that kind of exciting. I, I got to pick all the options, but still, I don't know. I'm, ex- I'm excited. Okay, let's end you the actually, show. You usually have a firmer grasp of this world than I do. Oh, because, cool. Just because you Dungeons and you drag. Uh on. Yeah, we're going to we're going to learn about uh about dark elves, we're going to learn about uh probably kobolds, we're probably going to learn about like, you know, will saves. <laughs> um uh yeah, lots of stuff. Here's the one thing I will say though, and and ahead of time. I maybe this might ruin it for you, but like keep your uh friends close. Keep keep your eye out for Drizzt being a a, a Mary Sue. Like, I have this suspicion. Okay. <laughs> Say it heads up. Um, I have a suspicion that Drizzt is like, he's kind of like Star-Lord is as, my guess. I mean, as long as he has uh, some difficulty shredding on the Les Paul, then I'm fine. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, well, that was Death Reader's uh, I'm I'm pretty excited uh, to get started, but anyway, I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers, and please discuss us extensively on Reddit. <laughs> My lips are like chapping today. I got that feeling around the edges. Mm-hmm. You're using that uh, tight feeling. You're using a uh, chapstick. No, I'm using nothing. Oh, I like to pro- let my chips. Uh, I like to let my lips. Uh, <laughs> Your lips chap where they may. No, I well see. I don't in my house. I don't refer to it as chapping. I refer to it as molting. So I like to let my lips molt. That's horrifying. It's what it is. I mean, it's not. It is your your lips are when your when your lips my lips chap seasonally they chap on a rotation and they but it's, peel it and the dead the dr- skin dies and then a new they skin chap fresher skin of the come forward dryness in the air and you're losing moisture and you need to keep your no. lips or your hands moisturized that's why they no, get no, chapped no 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 they're 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 chapping because my dead this layer of skin has to be removed that is not it at all well I mean for someone who persistently. Uh, suggests that we all have lizard brains, I find it hard to believe that you don't understand that we would molt. We would not molt. We are not lizards. No. Well, we we do molt. We don't. We we all. We shed. And that happens not, all the time. That's that's hair. See, you're missing the, no, the so difference. No, we, we shed skin skill, scales, shin, skin yes. cells all the shin time. Shin scales. We totally shed shin scales by the uh, Szechuar. Lips don't molt. Okay, maybe yours don't. Mine do. Uh, I've no accepted one's lips it. molt. I've accepted it. This is some bizarre ass pseudoscience. I'm embarrassed for you, and I'm embarrassed for all the listeners who have to listen to this. This isn't uh, any sort of science. It's just uh, my beliefs. Well, I, I believe. Oh, oh, there it is. Okay. That I'm. No, I'm, I'm good I'm, now. I believe that my lips molt, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. I've accepted that as part of nature. 
mm-hmm. and that uh, even if you want to deny that yours do, that's fine. Not brought to you uh, by QAnon gonna... Chapstick because he won't use it. I'm not going to uh, suggest that you have to accept that my truth. Um, and it's... I don't like any of this character. <laughs> it's making me very anxious. <sighs> Why? Why is this guy making you anxious? Because he, he exists. Because he exists? Did you bite your thumb at me, sir? <laughs> Faith, I bite my thumb, but I did not bite my thumb at you, sir. But you bite your thumb? <laughs> I was tearing off a hangnail at you. <laughs> I just happened <laughs> to be biting my thumb. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta cap you let it fly. <laughs> cap you let it go. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to punch it up. No, you had to punch it up because I, I knew I had to fly. I didn't want to go with fly. It's fine. Right. This is the behind the scenes gold. <laughs> In them, their qu- quotes. <laughs> well. <laughs>